You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. Under the super rules, members are able to split certain super contributions with their spouse, which may provide a number of strategic advantages. I'm Craig Day, and I'm the head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss superannuation contribution splitting with me is Tim Sanderson. G'day, Tim. Hi, Craig. How's it going? Very well. Self? Yeah, very well, thanks. All right. Now, in relation to super contribution splitting, can you just very high level give us an understanding of what these rules allow? Yeah, so high level, um, it just allows um, members of a couple, so one spouse, to transfer um, potentially some or all of their concessional contributions across to their spouse's account. Um, And that may be an account within the same fund or transfer across to an account within a different fund. Right, so if the spouse is a member of a different fund, that doesn't impact it, we can request this, the splitting amount to go off to that separate fund. That's so correct. Obviously done via a rollover or something like that. That's right, so yeah. super, a spouse contribution splitting benefit, yep. um, so essentially a, a transfer if you okay. like. Terrific. And in relation to this, spouse is just the normal meaning of spouse under the Superannuation Act? It is, yes. Um, so that includes um, people who are married, but also um, de facto de facto couples who are living uh, living together as a couple. Right, terrific. So these days that includes both opposite sex as well as same sex. Terrific. Correct. Okay, so we can split contributions with our spouse. So why would we want to do that? What are the strategic advantages? Yeah, so there's a number of reasons why spouses may wish to, to transfer recent concessional contributions. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, an increase in recent years um, in questions and strategies around spouse contribution splitting, particularly um, due to the introduction of the transfer balance cap and total super balance uh, rules in 2017. Um, Under those rules, it's often beneficial to have um, spouse uh, balances equalised between members of a couple. And so contribution splitting is one of the key ways that over time, uh, members of a couple can equalise their balances um, by transferring contributions from the high balance spouse's account to the lower balance spouse's account. Uh, there's other reasons why it, it can be beneficial to split spouse contributions, as, split uh, contributions to a spouse as well. Um, examples would include being able to potentially, when um, members of a couple are going to withdraw superannuation, when they've reached their preservation age and retired but below age 60, then potentially by equalising balances we can... Um, make best use of the two low-rate low caps or yeah. tax-free thresholds so, that are available. So that one, that really only relevant until we get uh, preservation age hit 60. After that, any sort of lump sums coming out are going to be tax-free. Exactly, yeah. which is not too far away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two other probably key reasons to, to quickly mention would be um, potentially splitting to a an older spouse's account may allow um, those members of a couple to access more money sooner out of their superannuation. So that's an interesting one. So, look, we might have a couple in their 50s. Um, 
the you know one's age let's say 56 or 57 the other one's age 52 and you're wanting to kick off something like a TTR strategy so we might be splitting the younger spouse's benefits over to the the older spouse's account to, to commence a larger transition to retirement income stream potentially yeah Is, absolutely yeah yep. and what what about um, splitting to a younger spouse why would we think about doing that so the key reason that that we see that being used is for social security purposes. Mm -hmm. So if we have two members of a couple and one is going to reach age pension age potentially quite a bit before the second member of a couple, um, that second member of a couple, their accumulation superannuation is disregarded for asset and income test purposes for social security rules while they remain under age pension age. Um, so potentially there can be a benefit in maximising that younger member of a couple's balance, for example, by contribution splitting, to maximise that um, older member's age pension, for example, while the younger person remains under age pension age. All right, terrific. So now moving on, so getting into the details of these rules. So we know that if you've got a spouse, you're able to split your superannuation with them. Is there anyone that can't split their super contributions? Um, yeah, so there are particular rules for... Um, for the receiving spouse, and that really requires the receiving spouse to either be um, under, age, uh, under preservation age or between preservation age and 64 inclusive and have not met the retirement condition of release. Um, right, so yeah. we, they don't want people using the splitting rules to get around preservation, so I'm the younger spouse and I start splitting to my spouse that's maybe over 65 or something like that that could immediately access those benefits. So there's some rules there just to make sure that essentially both members, you know, if, if the member receiving the contribution, um, those benefits would be, or that contribution would be preserved, we can't circumvent the preservation rules by splitting that contribution to someone that's already satisfied a condition of release, for example. That's right, and that's, yeah. that's the idea behind that test. Um, now, for someone who you know, potentially a receiving spouse who had reached 60 and ceased a gainful employment arrangement. Now, that is the retirement condition of release. That doesn't necessarily prevent them from receiving future um, splitting amounts, provided that they can declare um, when they make the application that they are not retired at that point. Okay. Now, we're talking about contributions generally, but it's not all contributions that we can split, is it? It's only certain types of contributions. Can you can you run those through with me? That's right. So it's, it's basically contributions that are included in the assessable income of the fund, um, and that's, that's basically concessional contributions. So that right. could include super guarantee. It's not limited to voluntary contributions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, salary sacrifice, and also personal tax-deductible contributions. Okay, so you've, there you've talked about um, contributions made to taxable funds. Um, what happens if I've got a client in an untaxed fund? Yeah, so it is slightly different in an untaxed fund, um, and bearing in mind that for most untaxed funds, or probably all of them, you can't make personal deductible contributions. But in an untaxed fund, it's really the untaxed... Um, employer contributions, um, they're the amounts that can be split across. Right, okay, terrific. Now, so what you're telling me, it has to be included in the accessible income, so if I was to look at non-concessional contributions, they can't be split. They, they used to be able to, couldn't they? Yeah, that's right. Back prior to 2007, so yep. a fair while ago now, you used to also be able to split yep. non-concessional, but, but that's can't, now can't, gone. Can't split those. Rollovers, you can't split. Correct. 
co-contributions you can't split. That's right. uh, I had this advisor come up with this snazzy strategy he thought was he was being a genius with the other day. Um, what about spouse contributions? He thought he could actually make a spouse or get the client to make a spouse contribution, get the spouse contribution rebate and then split the contribution back to the spouse that, uh, that originally, I suppose, is making the contribution. Um, that doesn't work, does it? No, it's a nice idea. Um, so um, good thinking, but unfortunately it's an after-tax contribution so it can't fall within Yeah, spouse contributions rules. are always non-concessional contributions. So Correct. Therefore, you can't split them. Um, and in this situation, whose concessional cap applies? Is it the member receiving the initial contribution that it counts against their cap? Or if I'm splitting it off to my spouse, does it count against their concessional cap? So we do get a lot of questions about this. And it, it is really important to point out that the contribution counts towards the cap of the original contributing spouse. The fact that you split an amount across to your spouse um, makes no changes to anyone's contributions caps. So that splitting amount will not count towards the receiving spouse's concessional cap and it also won't reduce the amount that's counted towards the uh, contributing spouse's cap. Okay. Now, um, moving on to how much we can actually split. So um, can you run me through those? Because it's not... If I'm just got concessional contributions, it's not necessarily 100% of those concessional contributions, is it? There are some rules there that limit the amount that I'm able to split. There is, yes. So firstly, the, the amount you can split has to be limited to the amount you've actually contributed to the, that mm -hmm. fund. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a, a maximum splittable amount, as it's known. And for members of a taxed fund, that is the lesser of either 85% of your concessional contributions that you've made, or... Uh, the member's concessional contributions cap for that year. And what if I've got a member in an untaxed fund because... Yep, so different for an untaxed fund again. In that situation, it, it's really just 100% uh, of the uh, untaxed employer contributions, but again, limited to the concessional contributions right. cap. And I suppose we've also just got to keep in mind the amount of taxable component in the member's interest as well, because... If that's uh, quite a small amount for some reason, maybe you've had some negative returns and then you're going making a concessional contribution, all that does is build up that tax-free component. You may not have a lot of taxable component there to split, so that actually limits it, limits it as well, doesn't it? That's right. One of the, um, one of the requirements when a, a super fund is um, putting an application in place or splitting an amount is that there has to be enough taxable component left in the balance for that to occur. Um, where that's not the case, that amount effectively limits the amount that can be split. Right. Now, it was really interesting, the comment that you made before about um, that this is all in relation to contributions. So what these rules are not allowing us to do is just go and split my benefits with my spouse. Maybe I can do that if I'm going through a, a divorce situation, um, but I can't use these provisions just to say, well, you know, I've got an amount that's going to push me over the the transfer balance cap, for example, and I'm just going to split 50% of my total super with my spouse. No, it's only my contributions and only a certain amount of my contributions, and they have to be concessional contributions that I can split. Now, um, we talked about there 85% of your concessional contributions um, or the member's concessional cap. Um, what if I've got a member that has a higher concessional cap under the bring forward rules? Is that still limited to $25,000? So no, it's not. So in other words, where a member can take advantage of the um, concessional cap carry forward rules, um, then the amount that they can split is also increased in the same way. So for example, if this financial year, 
I've been able to take advantage of the concessional cap carry forward rules and let's say I made no concessional contributions last year and so my cap is $50,000, mm -hmm. um, I'm effectively limited to splitting the lesser of 85% of my concessional contributions and the $50,000 concessional cap. Right, right. terrific. Um, and what if a member has contributions going into multiple funds? Maybe they have multiple employers. Yeah, so if, if contributions are going into different funds, the rules don't seem to provide any limit um, in terms of only allowing you to make an application to one fund per financial year. So mm -hmm. potentially that member can submit an application to each fund to split an amount of those concessional contributions. Yeah. But what probably we're not quite clear of is, is that maximum splittable amount? Is, is that at the member level or are we looking at that at individual fund level? So I suppose in that situation you need to seek further guidance because the rules there aren't particularly clear, are they? That's right. Yeah. Correct. Okay, um, now I've decided I want to do it. How do I do it? What do I do? So you submit a, an application to the fund um, and generally that will be an application... Um, an ATO standard application which is on the ATO website and that requires the the person to specify the amount of splittable contributions um, and also uh, provide details of the receiving spouse including confirming that the receiving spouse um, has, does not meet the retirement condition of release if they're between preservation age and, and 64. Okay. So um, in terms of this application, is so is there a requirement around when I can Like, could I apply after every single employer contribution or is there a different set of rules here? Th that's right. So it's, it's you can't just do it multiple times throughout the financial year. The general rule is that you make your concessional contributions in financial year one mm -hmm. and then any time throughout financial year two is when you can submit that splitting application in relation to the, the previous year's contributions. Oh, right. So I don't, make the, I don't have to make the request in the same year that I'm actually receiving those contributions. I actually make the request to split from my previous year's That's right. So generally, you're not able to split yep. in the same year. You must make the application okay, in the following so financial year. Are there, so part of this we talked about, you can't split rollover amounts. What if I've decided that I want to roll from fund A to B for whatever reason... Um, and that's then going to impact my splitting ability to split to my spouse. Is there some exception, exceptions there? That's right. So this is a, a situation where there is an exception from that having to split in the next financial year rule. So where, the, where you are, the contributing spouse is going to either roll all of their benefits out in that financial year or cash all of their benefits out as a lump sum, then in that situation, they're allowed to submit their splitting application in the same financial year as their contributions have been made. Right. So if I am going to roll over, it doesn't. I, I just need to make that request before I rolled over, and I've there's obviously a, a box I've got to tick in the form or something like that that tells right. me that I'm intending to roll over or to cash it out. That's um, right. I suppose that effectively there there is also another kind of time limit. So if I've got a member making a personal deductible contribution. Um, if I'm making that contribution but I'm not giving my notice yet, then the trustee just thinks that that's a, a member contribution that's potentially a non-concessional, so not being included in the fund's accessible income. So I think I'd, in that situation, I'm, I'm going to have to wait until 
after I've actually provided my deduction notice, aren't I? That's correct. So the deduction notice needs to be provided before any uh, contribution splitting application. So it's very important to get those two separate applications uh, or notices um, aligned in the correct way. Okay, terrific. Now, um, I think that's about it. Is there anything else I need to, to know about contribution splitting? I'll probably look, the final thing to mention, I think, would be that, um, yes, super funds can offer contribution splitting, but it's not mandatory for them to do so. Um, so while it's fair to say that the majority of funds would offer this as a service to their members, um, it's not going to be every single super fund offering that. So it would be important if you've got uh, clients who are members of a fund and they want to do contribution splitting, just make sure that the fund offers that uh, before they go ahead and make the contributions and then make the application to split. And actually, think about it, that's probably one of the things, you know, if, if a client does, comes to you to seek some advice, um, and one of the things that they're wanting to do in future is a contribution splitting strategy, then that would also be obviously one of the things you'd look at when you're, you're comparing the different funds that they may choose. Um, if their current fund doesn't do contribution splitting, that would obviously be one of the justifications you could provide to roll over to a different fund perspective because the current fund doesn't provide a feature that the member wants and needs. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, terrific. Yeah. All right, Tim, I think that covers it off. Thanks for, thanks for talking about contribution splitting. Not a problem. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.